Well, only recently I discovered how you can um, grow bamboo. Uh, what you do is you cut a stick of bamboo and you plant it uh, into the soil and then uh, you have to water it for a year and then nothing happens. Uh, then you have to water it for a second year and then nothing happens. Uh, you have to water it for a third year and then for a fourth year and then for a fifth year and then nothing happens. Uh, you have to water it for a sixth year and nothing happens. Then for a seventh year you need to water it and finally the bamboo will begin to sprout. But let me tell you, when it sprouts, it explodes. Uh, some bamboo plants, they can grow literally one metre overnight. Uh, some bamboo plants have been known to grow three metres in under a week. I mean, it just completely takes off. But of course, the explosion doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly, and it happens surprisingly, and it happens wonderfully, but it happens after a very long time. And the message this morning is that life in the kingdom is like bamboo. The kingdom of God is like bamboo. The Christian life is like bamboo. And even our church here at St. Philip's and Cottesloe is like bamboo. Now, the application for this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It's a wonderful application. Some people like to have um, well-applied messages. Well, here it is. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Too many pastors, too many Christians, too many churches... Church members think that Christianity and church growth and the kingdom life is some kind of quick fix, some kind of microwave results. And so maybe after a few weeks or after just a few years when nothing happens, they just give up. They give up before they see this wonderful and explosive growth of the kingdom. And they grow weary and they give up. And so Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, please do not grow weary and do not give up for at the proper time, just like the bamboo, all that time you will reap a harvest. That's the promise of God's word to us this morning. And so today we're going to be looking at the principle of sowing and reaping. And I guarantee you that if you learn to apply this principle of the kingdom, you will see growth. You will see wonder. You will see resurrection and amazement, just like the bamboo shoot. Today we're looking at the wonder of the seed. And I don't use the word wonder flippantly. I use it purposefully and directly because the definition of wonder is a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable or unfamiliar. Just like when a bamboo, after all that time and all that investment and that watering explodes overnight. The wonder of the seed. And the wonder of the seed is that it looks totally small and meaningless and weak and insignificant, but it contains a mysterious and hidden power that cannot be seen by the eye to produce a crop. And Jesus, in our first reading, uses this metaphor to describe and to try and teach us a principle of the kingdom. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 picks it up with the key verse, uh, the principle, I think it's in verse 6, he says, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And this is the thing. 
The harvest that you reap tomorrow depends entirely on the seed that you sow today. That's the principle. And this is true in lots of different ways. It's true of the type of seed that you sow today will determine the type of harvest that you reap tomorrow. And so if you sow barley today, you're not going to grow wheat tomorrow. That's the first way in which this principle of sowing and reaping applies. But it also applies to the quality of seed that you sow. If you kind of try and cut corners and you sow the cheap stuff then you, and you want to kind of do the quick and easy cheap stuff, then that's going to determine the kind of, kind of crop and the kind of harvest that you reap tomorrow. But it's also true about the quantity of seed. Uh, if you want to cut corners or you don't want to pay the price or you're not willing to make the sacrifices that you need to make up front as a farmer and, and in terms of spiritual principles, you're not willing to make the sacrifices of your time that it will take and the treasure that it will take and, and your talents that it will take. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice to put in a large quantity and sow a large quantity, then you'll never see a large harvest and you'll never see a large crop. And so the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, He who sows or she who sows sparingly, guess what? Will reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will reap generously. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. And so if a farmer wants to have a bumper crop, not only does he or she need to sow the right seed, but he needs to make sure it's of the highest quality that she can possibly find and then to invest the time and the money to sow as much of that seed as they possibly can in order to find a big bumper harvest. And so Paul says this is an ironclad rule of the universe and of spiritual life in the kingdom. He says it in verse 7, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived about this. God cannot be mocked. If you think you can break this principle, God cannot be mocked. In the end, the joke will be on guess who? On you. You can't break this principle. God cannot be mocked. This is an ironclad law of the Christian life and of the kingdom of God. And so what Paul does in verses 6 to 10, and that's where we're going to be focusing on this morning, is he takes this law of sowing and reaping and he applies it to three different aspects of the Christian life and how this principle of sowing and reaping applies to three different things. And you're going to see them, I hope, in verses 6 to 10. And the first thing that he applies it to is to, the, is to Christian ministry. So in verse 6, if you have a look at verse 6 with me, he says, those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. In other words, pastors and teachers are like farmers who sow the seed. We, we know that, right? They sow the seed of God's word, the good news of the gospel. And, and what churches want, what churches need, are people who are able to sow good quality seed, right? And not just a little bit of seed, but if, if they want to have, see a big harvest, then they want farmers who are able to sow a lot of seed, as much seed as you possibly can in order to reap a harvest. But you see, these farmers, these pastors, teachers and evangelists, they need to be able to make a living. And the way in which God has ordained for them to make a living is given to us in verse 6. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. That's God's God-ordained way for these farmers, these workers, to be able to make a living. 
Now, there are so many encouraging stories of how people have understood this principle at St. Philip's. For one, I wouldn't be here if people didn't get it uh, at, at St. Philip's, right? But just this week, I got a card from someone with $300. There's a pastor that I support in uh, Azim, uh, in, in Pakistan, where they're not able really to afford uh, to follow this principle yet um, because they're, they're poor and needy. But, but there's a desire to be able to fund this farmer, this worker, to be able to sow seeds in Pakistan. And this is a card that I got this week. Dear Karen, I think I need more than one reminder today uh, after I have uh, read my shrinking bank balance. But Luke 12, 32 to 34, is a great reminder that what I've been doing is acceptable in God's sight. I hold on to this very firmly. There's also great, continu- a great continuing need throughout the world for be- far beyond what we have to offer. And, and in, in this card contained a gift of $300. I want to read what, what this principle is. Uh, this, this person who's been willing to give uh, to the point of going, yikes, I'm not sure if I can afford that, but this is what gives them courage. Uh, Jesus in Luke 12, do not be afraid, little f- flock, because when you make that investment, when you pay that cost up front, you might be tempted to fear. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so uh, I found out uh, another story. When I, after I got here at St. Philip's, um, I found out that there were people who, who got together and said, you know what, we want to double the amount of uh, ministry or, or sowing that we can do. We want to go from being a, a, a church that only has one full-time minister to a church that's able to employ two full-time ministers. In other words, we want to be able to invest double the amount of seed so that we can double the harvest that we're able to get. But we can't afford it. What are we going to do? And so the call was made to, to St. Philip's, uh, to you guys, we're going to need to be able to pay this worker if they're going to be able to come and sow seed. And so a bunch of people got together and they pledged out of their finances so that we could double the amount they invest, so that we can double the crop that we can get. And that's what happened. And then James Duff came here. And that was the first time, only eight years ago, as I understand it, that there were two full-time ordained clergy sowing God's seed. Of course, um, James went on to plant um, a church now in Melville, and he's still getting support uh, from here and from within here to sow the seed. And of course, when he left, I came in. And so that's the legacy and the heritage. And it's only possible because there are people here who understand the principle that gospel ministry doesn't pay for itself. It doesn't pay for itself. Paul says very clearly, those who are taught the word, verse 6, must share. It doesn't say could share. It doesn't say might share. It doesn't say those who are taught the word really should think about sharing. No, it says those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Now, of course, finances is only part of all good things. There's prayer and there's encouragement and there's warmth and there's friendship. And and I want to commend you for that. You know, 10 out of 10 from a personal um, perspective. And of course, We've only, we're down to one full-time minister at the moment, and our giving, as you may understand, has actually gone down to meet that. But you know what we're doing, right? We're looking for a new one. We, we want to double that harvest. We're looking for a new minister, and our finances are nowhere near being able to afford that at the moment. And so we need to 
understand this principle that those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. The ministry of the gospel doesn't pay for itself. Paul applies this principle, firstly, sowing and reaping to uh, Christian ministry. But secondly, he applies it to our personal growth, to Christian holiness, this principle of sowing and reaping. So if you look at verse 8, he says, those who sow to please the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. Those who sow to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And so now we're looking at this principle of sowing and reaping in your own walk, in your own heart, and your own life and Christian holiness. And I don't have time to unpack uh, everything that's in these, these verses, but I just want to pick up on this word uh, corruption. Those who sow to the flesh will, uh, from the flesh will reap uh, corruption. Um, the, the, the word can be translated dissolution or deterioration or decay. And the Apostle Paul um, is talking about the fact of the power of sin and evil to bring corruption and decay and deterioration to the human soul. Um, but, but it applies of the power of sin and evil to bring that corruption um, everywhere in society. I mean, don't we see the power of sin and evil and corruption everywhere in our society, whether it's society or economics or, or politics or education or uh, the environment, um, psychology, relationship, marriages, the power of sin and evil to bring corruption in the world But on the other side, the call of Christians like us who have the Spirit and who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit is to bring healing and to mend that corruption, to push back against the forces of sin and darkness. And and whatever our sphere is in the workplace, in the family, in relationships with our kids, in the church, to bring healing and to mend through the power of the Holy Spirit and to bring renewal and to push back against the forces of sin and evil and corruption. And this is true in the human heart, but it's also true in our spheres of work and our spheres of influence. And that's our calling. So this Tuesday night in the prayer meeting, we're taking one small area of, 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 of reality, uh, human sexuality, and, and we're going to pray. And, and, but it's a small area where we see incredible corruption to people's hearts and minds and, and to our young people and to this genera- young generation, the pornification of society. And what we're going to do on Tuesday night is we're going to gather and we're going to call out for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sow to the Spirit, asking that he would deliver us from evil and lead us not into temptation. And that's for our young people in our church, but that's, that's for our entire society as we hear from Daniel, uh, the work that they're doing in, in sowing to the Spirit and trying to bring healing and renewal into our culture and our society. That's what we're doing Tuesday night. And that's just to take one small uh, area. This applies uh, in, in all kinds of spheres, but that's our calling. It's to sow to the Spirit and see and reap eternal life. So he applies this principle uh, to Christian ministry and then to Christian holiness. And then finally, in verse 9, he applies this um, principle of of sowing and and reaping um, to um, society at large or or more broadly and generally. Um, In verse 9, he says, So let us not grow weary in doing good. Now, your translation, the NRSV, says doing um, what is right, which... I don't think is particularly helpful. Uh, uh, what is right makes it sound, you know, let us not grow weary in doing what is right is like sort of making sure we tick the boxes or, 
or, or make sure we're goody two-shoes or whatever. I, I, in the Greek, um, other words uh, for this uh, word is, is doing the, the beautiful, um, doing what is beautiful, what is pleasant, what is desirable and what is good. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, the thing I want to focus on here is, is, is the Paul's admonition to not grow weary and not give up and to think about the tragedy of or why he says that and the tragedy of growing weary and giving up. Uh, and, and I've learned uh, recently, uh, and I have known, that the average tenure of, of a pastor in a church is apparently is three or four years. Uh, and the reason that that's, that's a, a big problem uh, is that uh, the church is like bamboo. The kingdom of God is like a bamboo plant, and, and the growth doesn't happen that quickly. Uh, the, the growth uh, and the um, expansion of the kingdom, it takes more than three or four years to see that happen and to see that explosive growth. And, and personally, I've seen both sides of this coin. I've seen how amazing it can be when, when a leadership team is able to stay in place for, for a long time, and this is true in any organization, where, where a leadership team is able to stay in place and, and, and keep on sowing and praying and investing and, and the growth that happens in that context. But I've also seen how discouraging and disheartening it can be in church where there's, or any organization where there's, where there's a high turnover of, of leadership or, or staff uh, and you, you fail to keep on sowing and, uh, into that place, and, and I've seen how discouraging that can be. Um, but of course... This doesn't just apply to leadership teams. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good. He's, he's talking to the church community. I mean, church communities are made up of uh, people like this who, who just keep on doing good year in, year out, decade in, decade out. I mean, isn't that the heart and soul of the church community? It's people who after so many years and decades have not grown weary and are still persevering in doing good, knowing that at the proper time they will, will reap a harvest. And so even by being here today, you and I, we're reaping what other people have sown. I mean, I didn't build this place. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't plant this church here. All of us are reaping what people before us have sown. And so that's an encouragement for us to take up that cause and to sow so that others in the future may reap. That's Paul's application in the third instance of, of, of doing good in general. Now, of course, things that are good and beautiful and pleasant and desirable um, are any number of things. I mean, I, there's too many examples of how you are doing good and beautiful things. Uh, and, and I just want to be able to pick up on one thing that is good and beautiful, that we're focusing on a church, and that is praying and becoming a praying church because, indeed, uh, that is a good seed that we sow. In fact, prayer is like just like this seed, this seed that is so seemingly powerless and weak and insignificant, this seed that seems like such a waste of time because it doesn't do anything. And see, this is the danger that we miss the power of the seed and the principle of sowing uh, and reaping. And I was just reflecting this morning, the, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, right? So same thing, do not grow weary, do not give up, devote yourselves to prayer. But he says, being watchful. Why does he say being watchful? 
Well, because it's like prayer is like the bamboo plant and the seed. You water it for a year, and after a year, you're going to be tempted, after watching and there's nothing happening, you're going to be tempted to give up, aren't you? And so praying, we are watchful for this wonder, for the explosion of the Spirit and resurrection power as we devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful for, um, for God's power to be unleashed. And so uh, um, this, this power of prayer, it seems weak, it seems meaningless, it seems like a waste of time. And so the danger is that we never do it. And if we never do it, then we never see what it can do, right? If we never see it, see, see the power of it, then we never see what God can do through it. Or if we only see a little bit of what prayer can do, then we, on, only, we only sow a little bit of prayer and we only see a little of what prayer can do. And so the encouragement is to sow this good thing. And the way I want to finish this morning um, is with an illustration that I've shared uh, before by a guy called Ol Halsby. Uh, and it ties in nicely with this principle of sowing uh, and reaping. Uh, it's a book on prayer by Ol Halsby. He was, I think, a Norwegian uh, Lutheran pastor. And um, essentially, he says, prayer is boring. Uh, but um, he means that as a play on words, or at least I say it as a play on words, because boring can have two uh, meanings, which hopefully will become clear. Um, it goes for a little while, but I think uh, it's worth it. He says that the work of the Spirit can be compared to mining. The Spirit's work is to blast pieces of the sinner's hardness of heart and his or her opposition to God. The period of the awakening can be likened to the time when the blasts are fired. The time before the awakening, however, is the time when deep holes are being bored with great effort into hard rock. To bore these holes is hard and difficult and a task which tries one's patience. But to light the fuse and fire the shot is not only easy, but it's very interesting. It takes trained workmen to do the boring. Anyone can light a fuse. Uh, This image sheds great light on the nature and the history of revivals. Because there are many people who would light the fuse. Many people would love to be uh, effective evangelistic preachers. And some preachers are so zealous that they light the fuse before the hole has been bored and the explosive matter has been put in place. And so the resulting revival ends up being nothing more than a little display of fireworks. But then the awakening subsides and every day human conditions return, maybe even dry patches, and that's when most people grow weary and give up. But that's exactly when the Spirit calls us to do the quiet, painful, difficult work of boring holy explosive material into the souls of the unconverted by daily and unceasing prayer. This is the real preparation work for the next awakening. And the reason we don't see more of a revival is simply that the Spirit can't find believers who are willing to do the hard mining work. Everybody wants an awakening, but we'd prefer to leave it to others to do the boring into hard rock. There are, however, God be praised, people within every community who take up this work which tries the patience so sorely. And the Lord reward you, brother and sister, And more importantly, give you grace to persevere in that boring work into the hard rock until the awakening comes.
Friends, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. The one who sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So, let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Amen? Let's pray.